Welcome to the Mile 99 Interview Series Podcast with your hosts, Paulo Medina and Greg Larkin. Wherever you're listening, we hope you enjoy the show. All right, welcome everybody and thank you for joining us today for the first episode of uh, Mile 99 Interview Series. Uh, the whole point of this interview series is to uh, stay connected uh, with our running community. Our goal is to share knowledge and information uh, as if we were on the trails with our runner. Um, so hopefully we can we can uh, translate that message over to you guys. And today we are here with uh, Craig Thornley, who is the race director for uh, Western States 100. It's also a local runner and a local member of the community. And my co-host, Greg Larkin. Greg? Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Greg Larkin. I'm co-hosting this interview series with Paulo. Um, so broadcasting live from Auburn, California. Paulo's down at the aid station in downtown, uh, hey, Jessica, <laughs> downtown uh, Auburn. And um, yeah, so we wanted to put this uh, interview session together, um, as, as it was mentioned, to just really kind of foster the idea of community. And I got to give the credit. We've got a man behind the scenes, my best friend, Mike Turner. Uh, we spent a lot of time on the trails and we were discussing this a couple of weeks ago and he, he had the idea, like, why don't you, uh, you know, instead of just a virtual hangout every week, start thinking about putting together a little interview series. You know, we're missing a lot of that trail time together. Uh, we get a lot of valuable information when we're out with our fellow runners, you know, finding out about races they may have done or they're interested in or different things they're doing for training or nutrition or whatever. And we really just want to use this time to uh, hang out with some people uh, every week and find out what makes them tick and uh, hopefully get a little information along the way that's useful to you. You know, I know we have a lot of new ultra runners um, in the community and they're kind of thirsty for information. And right now it's really hard to get that, you know, even though the races are suspended for now, it's going to be valuable for them in the future. So we want to kind of foster that as much as we can. Uh, so we have uh, Mike, as I mentioned, kind of behind the scenes, and uh, what he's doing right now is he's monitoring the Zoom chat window. Uh, you have access to that. Uh, we're also broadcasting on Facebook Live, and uh, so he's kind of keeping an eye on the chat window as well as Facebook Live for comments, and what we're going to do as we're talking to Craig is uh, obviously we've got questions that Paulo and I are going to ask him, but then at the end, uh, we're going to have a live Q&A session. So feel free to send some uh, messages to Mike Turner. Uh, he would be in the chat drop-down window. And uh, make sure that uh, if you have a question, send it over to him, or you can also post a comment on the Facebook page if uh, that's more convenient for some reason. But since you're in the Zoom session, the chat window is probably gonna be, work the best for you. Okay, uh, so, uh, Paulo, do you wanna uh, introduce yeah. Craig, or would you like me to? <laughs> no, go ahead. Uh, thank you, Greg. Um, well, Craig, as I mentioned, is a local runner and also the race director for Western States 100. Uh, Craig is a native of Cool, um, is a longtime runner, is an accomplished competitor, does a lot of trail work. Uh, he's definitely someone who is embedded and very active in the community. He's a rock climber, mountain biker, he's a ski patroller, um, amongst many other things, right? So welcome, Craig, and thank you for being here with us. Yeah, thanks, Paolo, and thanks, Greg. I'm glad you guys started this up, and uh, I'm honored to be the first, the first uh, interviewed person. So <laughs> Do you mind if I also say that, most importantly, you're a cat lover? <laughs> I am a cat lover. Um, <laughs> he was just here. We're down to one cat. Unfortunately, yeah. we lost, we lost uh, a second one in, in two years, so we're down to one. Yeah. But we live vicariously through your cats, and hopefully we're going to see. Hey, you know, they, they may make Valley. an appearance here at some point. Wow. We're, we're, we're pretty raw. We're pretty informal. So if the cat photobombs us, that's all good, right? <laughs> Heck yeah, good. Excellent. Okay. Well, so I guess, um, you know, Paulo kind of read off quite a list of things. Um, and, uh, you know, as he said, I mean, you're really embedded in the community. I mean, not just as a race director, but just for all the different types of things you do um, and different activities you participate in. Um, and so, I, you know, I was writing up some questions last night and I guess, you know, the first thing that kind of came to my mind 
um, across all those different disciplines, you know, over, you know, years of running and, you know, ski patrolling and mountain biking, rock climbing, all these different things. Um, like what's one thing you would say out of all those different experiences in those disciplines that really lit you up and, and was like one of your most memorable experiences? Wow. Um, pretty much every Western States that I've run or, or volunteered at or, directed have been memorable. Every one of them is, is, uh, has added to my experiences, but the first Western States, when you run that first Western States, there's really nothing else like that. Um, you don't know what it's going to be like. You're standing at the, at Squaw Valley or Olympic Valley. Um, and you don't really know what it's going to be like. And, you know, for me, it was my second hundred miler. Uh, so I had gone the distance, but you know, the elevation, I, I got to, I got to devil's thumb climb and it was just totally kicking my butt. And I thought, Holy cow, I'm going to have to drop out at devil's thumb. <laughs> and of course that wasn't the case. and didn't have to drop out. They, they revived me with popsicles and soup and whatnot. And I managed to, to get to Auburn, but, um, yeah, that first one is probably the the most special, and you you can't duplicate that. So, Craig, what was your first hundred miler? Since Western States wasn't your first. Well, it was a lot easier to get into Western States back in two thousand. So, I wanted to take away some of the variables, and um, I ran. I chose to run Arkansas Traveler. It was not hot. It wasn't hilly, but it was a hundred miles. <laughs> and so I did that in 2000 and then I ran my first Western States was my second hundred miler in, in 2001. Okay, 2001. Okay. Almost 20 years ago now. Jeez, wow. Excellent. Do you, do you recall your time on that first one? Of course. 20, <laughs> 2020. <laughs> yeah. You don't forget your Western States times. Uh, even, even the not good ones. You remember those two so. or I do. Yeah. 2020. Very nice. Yeah. And, and I, if I remember correctly off of your, um, your bio on your blog, um, your best time was somewhere in the 18s. Is that right? Yeah. I had a couple in the 18s, uh, 2004, 2005. It was the Starfire course. So arguably it was a little bit easier. Um, Duncan Canyon was not, uh, it, on the course. So we got to Red Star Ridge and we ran down the road to Robinson flat. Um, but yeah, they were still in the 18s. And I don't know if it was um, the same as it is now, but back then, I mean, you said it, it was easier to get in then. Did they did they have the top 10 like auto entry into the next year or was that not even necessary at that time? Oh yeah, top 10. It was around as long as I've mm. known. Um, and back then you could be guaranteed to get top 10 if you ran 1830 for a man. Uh, the women's times fluctuated a little bit more, but um, you could actually target a time and get in, uh, and, and get the top 10. Nice. Now, geez, uh, now you got to run under 16 hours this last year to get in the top 10, a little bit different game. <laughs> For <laughs> sure. But, yeah. That, that, that's been, that was my goal. Um, for at least the first six or seven or eight Western States was to, to try to get in the top 10. Yeah. And I mean, you so have that I could get back. And you had a really great record of the top 20. I mean, for many years, it looked like as I was looking. For yeah. Years, yeah. Again, it was a little, it was, wasn't as deep as it is now. So, you know, 20 hours, 19 hours, 18 hours, you could, you could get in the top 20. Now it's a little bit harder. <laughs> a little bit. You run 20 hours now, you're going to be 50 or 60 or something, maybe even, even farther back. Uh, so going back in time, I guess a little further, um, you know, one of the things I was interested in knowing, and, and this is just something I like to find out about runners in general, because I came into running really kind of late in life in my late forties, really. Um, and now in my early fifties, um, and you, you started early. I mean, you, you were running like in, you know, high school, middle school, I guess it looks like. And was that something that you were kind of modeling somebody in your um, family? Were you coming from like a sports oriented family or what kind of got you into that? My, my parents were not runners, neither of them were runners, but they were, they were athletes. Um, my mom played volleyball and, and tennis and um, 
but I started in uh, seventh grade. I went out for track and I ran the hundred meter dash and I was last place. And the coach said, maybe you should try the mile. So I, I tried the mile and I was a little more successful at the mile. And I ran high school. I was uh, pretty good at a, at a small school in Golden Sarah. And then, um, you know, I started running road races and um, tried to tried the marathon thing for quite a few years, um, obsessing over minutes, single digit minutes and seconds. And I just got so tired of that. Um, but but back then, it seemed like it was uh, it was an 100 milers, especially Western States was a, was an older person sport. So I didn't rush right into Western States. I didn't run Western States until I was what, 37 years old, I think. Um, in retrospect, I kind of wished I had started earlier. Now that now that people are starting in their in their 20s, um, I, I, I kind of wish I had started earlier, but but I didn't. Yeah, it's kind of the same with me. I mean, I you know, I was so preoccupied with racing my bike for so many years. I never even understood this whole running thing, and especially trail running. <laughs> so, well, I, I, yeah. I was I was volunteering at Dusty Corners. I'd volunteered at Dusty Corners for ten years before I ran the race, so I I knew about it. I trained with people. I I ran with Bruce von Borstel. It's a name some people might re remember. He was a top ten Western States guy. Um, so I was around it. But I thought, no, I got I got to get all my fast running in now before I run really slow at 100 miles. And you know, so I had been around. I, I was exposed to it. Didn't have that as an excuse. <laughs> so, Craig, I got a question for you. We're reading your bio to gain a little bit more information about you, even though there's a lot of stuff out there. We, we've known you for several years. And we were reading that um, when you were at UFO, you felt that you were over your head uh, when it came to running. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, Golden Sierra is pretty small, small pond. I was a big fish in a, in a small pond, but I had the, the goal, the dream of running at the University of Oregon. And I got there in 82, 83, that first year. And it was at Alberto Salazar time, Rudy Chapa. It was, it was a really um, powerful time for University of Oregon. And went out for the first cross-country practice, and there were probably 50 of us. And I was in the third group and at the tail end of the third group. Um, and, and back then, I don't know if it's like this now, but – um, they didn't really need to develop runners in, in at that time at the University of Oregon. People came. I remember going into Bill Dellinger, the head coach's office, with um, with this two mile state champion from Idaho. He was like a nine seventeen or nine twenty something walk on. I was a nine forty six two miler, and this guy didn't even get his attention. Right, basically, he said, "When you can do these workouts, then you can come back and talk to us." Um, so I, you know, if I had gone to a smaller school, um, I might've stayed, uh, in the track and cross country program, but I, there was no way I was going to make it at that level. I wasn't, I wasn't that good and I was never going to be that good. So yeah, I was in over my head and then I met my wife and, you know, we did all kinds of other stuff other than running. So it's, um, so what do you do after uh, you finish college? Uh, it seems like you took a few years off. You take on new sports. What What did you do at that point in your life? Well, I I came back to running when we moved to Arizona after uh, got my master's degree. We moved to Tempe, Arizona, and I worked at Scottsdale in a cubicle. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is not going to work for me. <laughs> Sitting in a cubicle was not, not really going to work. I, I, I got to do some really incredible things with some very, very smart people. Uh, but it wasn't, um, I don't know, the work wasn't, wasn't really doing it for me. So I went part-time 
And I started training hard for the roads, uh, the 10K and the marathon. Um, and out of curiosity, what were you doing for work before somewhat running became or, or running became part of your, your career? I was working at, right out of school. I worked for Motorola um, in a defense-related contract, um, artificial intelligence stuff. Pretty, pretty boring, pretty boring now, but, <laughs> um, yeah. And then I, I eventually, uh, moved back to Eugene where I graduated from school and worked at the university of Oregon as a, as a software or a, a system administrator. So part-time, part-time at a school, at a university, any university town was much more fitting for me. And so that kind of allowed you to get back more into the, like the roadside of, of things and, and start training. Yeah. I kind of alternated between, uh, when I moved back to Oregon, I really got into rock climbing hard again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would alternate between running really obsessively and then rock climbing obsessively. And then I'd come back. <laughs> so. And I mean, I would assume that those things kind of complemented each other to some degree. No, not at all. Not, no, no. <laughs> no. I mean, you hear all that stuff like, oh, yeah, this is, this is good. This is good for this sport. No, if you want to do something hard, if you want to do something really well, it's going to take all your time, right? You're, you're, mm. When you're running on trails, your toes are beat up. You can't squeeze them into in the climbing <laughs> shoes. It, it just don't want to go there. True. And, and running makes you tired for climbing. I mean, maybe if I did it at moderate levels, it might have it worked. It might have been complimentary, but not, not when you're trying to run or climb. Mm-hmm. really hard it's just no <laughs> no I'm, I'm i'm a little bit more of a balanced athlete now than i used to be i used to be just so obsessive with it, whatever i was into yeah yeah i mean i can remember from my bike racing days i mean this was well before cross training was even a thing and they would just tell us if you want to get better on the bike you just ride the bike like don't do weights don't do you know core work you just ride the bike that was it morning yeah noon, yeah, it might not be the best for you long term to, to last for a, a long time. Yeah. In your 50s and 60s, but it, it definitely is how you get better at a sport is you do that sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we've talked about, you know, some of your memorable experiences and it sounds like that first Western States was like right up there for you. Um, do you have like a, a second tier, anything or uh, in the recent past maybe, or something to do with rock climbing or anything like that? Well, I should tell the, the story of how I discovered Western States. Ah, uh, yeah. And it's, it's not completely unique. I thought it was unique, but Bill Rose has a, has a similar story. You know, Bill Rose. Uh, so in 1977, my mom and stepdad moved us from the Bay area to Auburn Lake trails. And my brother and I just loved the Canyon. We would go down to the river all the time. We'd spend as many hours as we could screwing around in the, in the Canyon. So we're camping at Hoboken Creek, which is the first Creek you cross. If you're going in course direction after green gate before Auburn Lake trails, there's two creeks, Hoboken Creek and American Canyon. We're camping where the concrete is. Some of you may remember mm-hmm. or recognize it by that. Uh, so we're camping just right on the, on the trail on a summer night and a runner comes through all dirty as can be, you know, asks us where the aid station is. And we had no idea what he was talking about. Uh, and then somebody else comes by and somebody else comes by and we finally discovered, holy cow, these people had started in Squaw Valley and we're headed to Auburn. And it was, it was very memorable for my brother and I, cause we we were both captured by the look in their eye. If most people who've run have seen um, what it looks like in your eyes at, at 85 miles, and they were dirty as heck. Um, but whatever they had experienced, I, I I knew I wanted to experience what what they had experienced. Just the the fatigue and the the uh, I don't know. They 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 were definitely driven. <laughs> And that was 1978. So that's how I discovered it. it was a total accident. We didn't get much sleep that night. So 1978 was the first year of the official Western States race. Is that correct? I think 77 was the first official year. Okay. Uh, yeah. 
Okay. But yeah, it was one of the, it was one, of, it was very early on. Okay. So there were not any horses with the runners. It was just runners. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Wow. That's uh and where where in the in the Bay Area do you live before moving to school? We live in San Jose and Santa Clara. Moved around quite a bit down there. Okay. Yeah. The South Bay. Yeah. Cool was a lot better place to live as a as a young kid. Oh who wanted to be outdoors, wanted to run on trails. Yeah, we loved it. It was the river was so fun. The river's still fun. The canyons are still fun. And you know, at the time, still in the 70s, there was the potential of the Auburn Dam going in. Uh-huh. So that would have gone away. It was, it was starting to not look like it was going to happen, but there was still the possibility that that was going to, um, you know, f- the lake, the dam was going to flood all the trails and the canyons. Were there like um, actual, um, you know, like grassroots organization against that, like in the general area, you know, people that live in the area or anything that you're, I don't remember that. I was, I was young. I didn't. Yeah. I don't remember that stuff. Yeah. I wasn't politically aware. No. It was going to make the drive to Auburn easier than I knew. I heard that argument a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. You get a bridge over there or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you go right over the top. Sure. So, right. That's why the Forest Hill bridge is there. Yeah, so you get to Forest Hill. Right, you get to the Georgetown Divide. You were going to go right over, mm. over the dam. Right. <laughs> but no, I wasn't politically aware back then. No. no. Well, we're pretty happy it didn't happen. I guess. <laughs> I think uh, we yeah, are. we are. Yeah. <laughs> I keep I keep hearing rumblings every now and then that it's still not completely dead. But you know, at this point, I would hope it would be. <laughs> yeah, it seems it seems pretty uh, costly and. I don't know. I, I doubt it's going to happen, but who knows? So, I mean, when you saw those runners going by you and you were camping out on the trail, I mean, and, and you, you, it sounds like you, yeah, you were just inspired by their, their drive, their motivation. Um, is that something that you had had like pretty much your whole life or, or that you can remember and it just kind of amped it up even more or like, yeah, I'm just trying to get to like, what is it that drives you like from the inside to, to any of those things? I don't know if I, that's an interesting question. I don't, I don't know when I really discovered that in myself. Um, it might've been, it might've been a little later in life. Um, high school, um, did some strange, uh, backpacking experiences and where I got in some pretty rough spots. Um, and I, I thrived on, adversity right so I, I think it happened later i don't think I, I i don't remember if i was if i was aware of that or if if, if it happened earlier for if i was born with it or if it just kind of developed but and, and like i mean obviously running you know it's a fairly solo sport you know i mean you're out there especially trail running you're kind of on your own you maybe you're linking up with some other runner or you have a pacer at some point but it's a lot of just kind of internal mental you know, endurance, physical endurance, obviously. Um, I'm just wondering, like in my experience, you know, I was not really a team sport player early in life. And so I got into bike racing because it was something I could just jump on my bike and go. And then eventually running, I can just go out my door and run. Like, did you ever have team experience, like team sports experience or anything like that? Or were you all always kind of more like a solo athlete? No, I was definitely a team sport athlete. I was basketball. Oh, you, yeah. I tried to play football, but I was, I didn't like the hitting part. And that was kind of an important thing. <laughs> you needed to like to hit heads with other, other football players. I didn't like that part. Um, but yeah, definitely basketball. And I really haven't been that much of a solo runner. I, I have had groups that I've trained with my whole life or other people. I, 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 I am not a solo trainer. I don't go out there and grind. Um, I never do 50 miles by myself. I, I seldom, I, I seldom do any long run by myself or workouts. I don't do those by myself. So it's been a social, uh, not necessarily a team uh, sport, but it's definitely been a social, social sport for me. Well, that's great. And I mean, that really speaks to kind of the reason we're doing this interview series is because a lot of us like that aspect of running and we go out and we have our weekly run groups and we're going to go out and tackle these climbs or go in the Canyon or do whatever. And, and we get all that kind of, talk time too, which is really valuable, I think, for people just in general. And, you know, we're, we're sort of missing that right now. So that's why, uh, <laughs> that's why we're here. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, Craig, I have, um, you know, going back to the whole Western States experience. Um, so, you have nine uh, Western States finishes so far, okay? And you've got times anywhere between, you know, 18 change to being a 29 hour finish. And Go you there. and I. Go yes. There. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you and I actually ran together in 2017, and we experienced some of those first 30 miles. Like, I remember that we ran into each other, I don't know, somewhere around mile 10, 15, and I remember Camille was right in front of us, and you were next to me, and I was getting lost because I couldn't follow the snow because it was everywhere. And um, and that year, you know, it's uh, as a you know for everybody else watching, my goal for that year as a joke, because it was a joke, it was to beat uh, Craig Thornley's best time. That was my goal for that year, right? It's um, and I know that your goal for that year was to get sub twenty four. But unfortunately, the day was a lot more difficult for everybody than any of us could have expected. So how did you feel about, about having been an 18-hour runner to a 29-hour runner? Uh, how do you assimilate all of that? It's, um, and this is kind of a compound question with... Back in 2005, you also finished 10th at Western States, but you didn't come back in 2006. Um, I mean, if I ever finish within top 10, I am using that spot, you know, it's, it's uh, by any means. So if you can share that with us, it will be great. Uh, so let me answer the last part first. Mm -hmm. So in 2005, I had PR for the fourth year in a row. I got faster each year. And I thought I could run in the 17s. Um, and I was, my training was going awesome. I ran the ice cream sandwich run, which is Cal 2 to the swing bridge and back, which you can't do anymore because Cal 2 access is off. Um, but that was my last hard effort. And or maybe, maybe I did one more. 50 mile. Maybe I did the Memorial weekend 50 mile from Robinson to the river. And I, and I was on my massage therapist table and I told him, yeah, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to, to Boise, Idaho and run Schaefer Butte 50 miler. And he said, he said, Craig, you probably should shut it down. You, you've already done all the training that you need to do. So I'm running Schaefer Butte. I drive over to Idaho from Oregon and somewhere coming back around mile 30 or so, uh, Alice and here just said, Nope, you're done. This was 20 days before the 2006 Western States. So I rehabbed like hell. I tried every modality, including, uh, including this, um, acupuncture with electricity and everybody in the room holding hands and the energy. I mean, I tried every <laughs> damn thing every, and I just couldn't quite get it rehabbed. Um, so I had to watch, uh, my brother run his only Western States. I had to watch him, watch him and everybody else leave. Squaw Valley was pretty hard. Watch everybody leave. Once everybody left, once the race was going on, it was okay. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I get to watch. It's kind of fun to watch. Got to see the the Brian Morrison uh, stuff at the end. Yeah. Uh, which, if I was running, I wouldn't have been able to to see that. So. I was trying, Paolo. I was definitely trying to get in 2006. That year okay. was a very hot year. I probably wouldn't have run in the 17s. Yeah. Uh, I think 18 hours was the winning time for um, Cooper, for Graham, because uh, Brian was disqualified. Yeah. So, okay. So that was, that was a, a completely mis-knowledge um, um, in part because I, I figured that you had just, you know, yeah. somewhat forfeited your your entry uh it sounds like it's it's just life happened I, I ran too much so the, the first part of your question though uh running 29 hours i had absolutely i was i was overjoyed to finish and and finishing in the 
in the 29 to 30 hour range was was really fun. The party in Auburn, the 99 mile party, was by far the best I'd ever experienced. When you when you finish it one or two or three in the morning, there's not a whole lot going on there. They're, wow. they're already drunk and they're they're passed out or they're. But in the morning, when you finish it, you run through the neighborhood here at 10 a.m. Mm. It's happening. It it was it was awesome. Yeah, I had no, I had no, I, I was running the race as a race director was, was a little bit harder than I had anticipated. And it wasn't so much the race day, the conditions that were hard. It was, it was the two and two weeks out and one week out because of all that snow, you know, the course was just, it required so much effort and I didn't even get to really prepare my head and my body uh the week before so i was i was really happy that i finished it was a long i i did a lot of suffering that day but i was i'm totally i'm totally proud of that finish I, I, would i have liked to run under 24 absolutely but i have i have no problem i know i know several people who've told me they don't want to be involved in in the sport if they're not as good as they used to be um and I, I don't have that problem. I don't, I don't have that to do at all. I, I'll take another 29 hour finish. If, if, if that's what number 10 is, I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. So along, along with what you're saying, I just want to make a, I want to make a point and share a message to everybody that you don't have to be running to be part of the running community. You just have to be active, right? It's uh, many of you guys have not even seen me ever run a race. Uh, because I've been a bit busy the last couple of years. Um, but that doesn't mean that you cannot be part of the running community. And that's a, a, a big point that I always try to make when people come into the store and they tell me that they're injured. And yeah, you know why you won't see me for a while because I'm injured. It's like, no, if you're, if you're injured, there's many things we can do. We can, you know, uh, stay active by doing trail work or volunteer work or volunteer at a race, uh, but you don't necessarily need to be running to be a member of the running community. And that's just, you know, a big, big message that I always try to to share with everybody. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I can't even imagine finishing at 29 hours. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I applaud everybody that is in the golden hour. Because it is hard, regardless however fast you are, uh, it's it's hard. It's a difficult day. Um, you know, one one comment with finishing at two in the morning is when I run UTMB, and I was finishing. I was going through by the finish line. We're heading towards the finish line, and I'm running with the buddy of mine, Bill Clements, and we're coming down this just gnarly downhill three miles straight down to Chamonix and we can see the finish line and he asked me oh do you think anybody is down there and my response was have you ever seen a picture of UTMB finish without people at the finish line right he's like no I was like hey is it it's gonna be packed when we make the turn around Chamonix and we come through the finish line nobody there nobody there yeah nobody there I mean there was uh, we had to wake up the photographer it's uh so after finishing we went back to our uh little apartment that we had it's uh and we took a nap then we came back to the finish line to watch the last finishers and it was a party that the the, the 40 hour to 44 hour finish time it was a party bill and i were like what if we run back to the place and put our bibs on right so we can we can experience this uh, but yes, you're totally right. I can't even imagine. It must be, you know, it's it's a great experience and just so uplifting to come through the finish line at that time. Yeah, and I will tell you, 40 hours or 41 hours at UTMB, it's really rocking. <laughs> That's about what your time was, wasn't it? Like, yeah, I, I ran hard to break 41 hours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was rocking. The town was, oh, God, it was awesome. So speaking of um, UTMB, I mean, I know you did CCC the prior year to kind of, I'm assuming, prepare yourself, get a sense of it. And then you got into UTMB and you did that. Is that sort of what you were thinking? Like, I want to sort of start 
smaller progressed to UTMB and you know what was what was the uh, idea there? Uh, I don't really remember why I did CCC first at this point. Um, mm. um, yeah, I wanted to I wanted to experience the European racing scene. So um, I do remember people telling me, "Yeah, if you do CCC, you'll see the best parts of the course, and you don't need to you don't need to run the full 105 miles, which starts at 6 p.m. and you run in the dark, right?" Mm. Well, CCC was a lot in the dark for me. I ran a whole night. And I so all these beautiful spots. It's like it was dark, and and then and I also remember looking at my Strava track, and it only went part way around the mountain. You no, know, two thirds. This this is not right. And you need to go all the way around the thing. So I came back to do the whole thing around, and get a proper Strava track all the way around the mountain. And I should have set that up. There was just a chat real quick um, to to just describe what is CCC and what is UTMB. So CCC, they're all acronyms. They're uh, part of the Ultra Tour de Mont Blanc um, World Celebration of Ultra Running, the World Summit of Ultra Running. Uh, CCC is Chamonix, no, uh, Cormier, Champelac, Chamonix. It's 100K. UTMB is the full 105 mile. Uh, TDS, I don't know what the three towns are, TDS, but that's a 74 to 78 mile thing now. And then PTL, which was what I was going to do, um, is, I don't know what those stand for either, but that's the 300-kilometer trip uh, around the mountain without course markings, and it's a team thing, and much higher through glaciers and stuff. Yeah, so I, I wanted to talk to you about that. I mean, it's you're signed up for that. Uh, you've got a team of how many people? There's three of us. Okay, and so um, are those local people right now? Uh, Joe is local. Joe Steinmetz, our radio mm-hmm. ham radio coordinator at Western States, and my brother, who is in Flagstaff, and he's the river czar. He does the the rafting and the cable crossing at Western States. Perfect. Oh, so, we pulled out. We pulled out a while ago. We didn't want to. We didn't want to travel to Europe. Oh, okay. So All right. We're I'm, waiting for them to cancel. They're, they're, they'll probably cancel. Huh? Maybe they're watching. Somebody's watching right now. Yeah, so I, I was just uh, checking their website last night because I knew you. You know, I had known by talking to you that you were signed up for it. So I checked their website last night, and I think the most recent update is no plan to change the date, no plan to cancel. But of course, it's you know five months. You can't really tell what's going to happen. So I, one of my questions was going to be, you know, like how, and it's a moot point now. But how how do you sort of maintain your motivation to train for something that could potentially be canceled? you know, in the next couple of months or something. It was, it was definitely hard to, to stay motivated, uh, especially after Western States, after we mm-hmm. canceled, like, you know, it was pretty hard for me and all my, my managers and, and, the, and the key leaders. Um, it's a, it's, it's demoralizing, right? This is what we do. We, we, we work all year long to put on a race. So to have that, um, have that not happen, eh, kind of, it sucked. But we had heard we had heard that PTL was probably the first event that wasn't going to happen of all their suite of races. So we, it, I suspect it's going to be canceled here on, on May 20th. Oh, oh, is that? Yeah, is that the deadline they've sort of... I hope nobody up there on UTMB is listening to me right now. But uh, yeah, I bet, I bet it, on May 20th it's going to be canceled. Interesting. But, yeah, so I, I guess just sort of shifting gears a little bit, and we do want to leave a little bit of time here and uh, be mindful. Um, we have a few questions from the audience that we'll get to. Um, I figure we'll probably wrap this up around by eight, if that's if that's good with everybody. Just a couple more questions um, from our end, and I just wanted to sort of touch a little bit on on your race directing experience, you know, with Western States. And I mean, I guess the biggest, you know, impact issue right now was the cancellation, and I guess. One thing I'm interested in knowing, I haven't really um, heard too much about, is just sort of what a whole interplay is with the board and with you and, you know, with current events and, and how things kind of move through the process when you sort of either are developing a policy or have to respond to some kind of market condition or worldwide condition or something along those lines. Yeah, so we don't, we don't meet with the whole board. M- most, of the, most of the hard work doesn't happen with the whole board. It's, there's too many people. So we, we have committees or the executive committee. Um, with, with, this, um, with this COVID situation, it was, it was uh, probably four of us that were really 
talking all the time and you know every day it was like two weeks had passed right things had changed so fast in in march um but as we got closer to the cancellation then we would have we had meetings uh once a week and and we would all talk it was mostly updating the whole board so everybody was informed um when we finally did make the decision the board vote voted on it the the board had the final say but they weren't necessarily doing all of the you know everyday conversations it was it was a smaller group of people but in general that's that's how this board works is we have we have lots of committees and those committees are made up of people with diverse opinions and hopefully the hard arguments are made in a smaller group of people instead of instead of trying to bring a topic to the general board which we have 15 board members and I'm not on the board but there's a you know I'm a uh I'm the uh, non I'm I'm like the executive director uh, of the board um and yeah it's um when we bring topics to the meetings hopefully they've already been vetted and the and the committees make a recommendation sometimes it takes a little bit of of arguing at the board meetings but hopefully all the hard questions have been answered or or debated and the committee comes and says this is what we recommend and then the board votes on it that's generally the way it works now and it, and it's and it's efficient um obviously if i was just a dictator and i got to make the decisions it could be quicker but i sure as heck wouldn't make the same decisions because the 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 talent um the expertise the 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 historical knowledge uh of this board is just absolutely mind blowing um it, and it, it continues to to blow me away how how many awesome people um we have on this board um, i talk to a board member every single day there isn't a there isn't a day that goes by that i don't talk to a board member different ones but every day yeah so and and like you said i mean it sounds like just a diverse pool of of knowledge talent opinions you know so you're going to it sounds like when you need to make a hard decision you're going to get a good decision out of that i would expect because it's so diverse yeah and we don't rush into decisions um we try not to react based on um public pressure or you know we we try to deliberate um so when we do make a decision there there it's very well thought out um yeah and i can only imagine over the last decade just the amount of pressure given social media and just you know news cycles and everything else just amping up on you you know and having to sort of i'm guessing kind of push that aside as much as you can yeah well i can't always push it aside you got to press it you know you got to face it but um yeah sometimes i wish it would just go away yeah but uh, yeah Hey, I've got a, you know, moving forward, it's um, in, I wish we, we, we could stay uh, chatting for a longer period of time. It's, uh, but I've got a couple of questions in regards of your, your future running with Western States. Because as, as you mentioned, it was a little bit difficult to run Western States as a race director. You've got nine uh, finishes and I'm sure that you want to get back to your 10th finish um, which is that uh, you know thousand mile buckle right and I know that that's that's a goal with with most runners that continue to work their way up to to their 10th western states so do you think you're you're gonna get back anytime soon Soon, you know, let's imagine that we're not shelter in place and Western States is happening. It's uh, under normal uh, circumstances. Do you see yourself trying to get back into it? And what do you, and where do you still, where do you see yourself going from that point on? Do you want to get your 11th after that or would you be pretty much done? Well, like most of us, when we finish a hundred miler, we don't really think we're going to do another one because it's just so painful like oh god but 
with time, you forget how hard it was or how discomfort, discomfortable, uncomfortable you were. Uh, so I think it's probably 2017 is probably far enough away that I'll, I'll, I'll probably think, oh, yeah, I can do this again. How hard can it be? Be the race record, run the race. I, I thought that the symmetry of running my 10th Western States when I directed my 10th Western States would be kind of cool numbers guy you know um that would be 2022 okay uh but uh but i have also thought maybe i should wait until i'm retired but then my wife reminds me you're going to be a hell of a lot older and it's going to be harder for you when when you try to do this when you're retired um so i don't know i i i do want to get my 10th but i won't go past 10 um, I don't want to take a spot uh, okay. past 10. I had actually already trained for 10 full Western States. Well, now it's 11. 2006, as I told you, I got hurt 20 days before the race. I've done training all the way up to tapering. And then 2008, when we got canceled for the first time ever because of the fires and smoke, I was, I was at squad ready to go. So I had gone through 10 training cycles and I got eight finishes out of it. Um, so yeah. I wish I I wish I I'd, I'd gotten it, but um, I'm not going for 11 the way. And and I've been more interested lately in in doing. My, my brother introduced me to someone last year at Havelina. Uh, I can't remember who he introduced me to, but he he said he said this is my brother Craig. He used to be fast. Now he just gets it done. So I'm kind of in that mode now where you know, I wanted to do PTL and, and, and I did UTMB and, and CCC and, you know, I wasn't fast, but, but I get it done. Um, so I think I may try some more obscure, weird events. I don't know if I'm going to do a 200 miler, but it, it could be in there because you don't have to be fast, right? You can, you can go really slow for a 200 miler. You just have to get it done. Uh, you just got to get it done. Yes. Um, and, and I'm kind of getting back into climbing pretty hard again right now. I've got some, got some climbing goals. And lastly, before we go into the questions, into the Q&A, uh, do you foresee the opportunity to expanding the number of slots for Western states? Um, we, um, not significantly, no. Okay. Uh, we thought we had a few spots. Um, we thought we had 40 spots more that we were going to get. Um, and we tried hard. We, 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 we tried really hard. And then, uh, it was, um, it was recommended that we didn't continue pursuing it. Um, yeah, because of pressure from, uh, from groups that don't want to see anybody using wilderness areas for non, you know, solo experiences. Uh, they don't want to organize events in, in wilderness areas. So um, those groups, um, you know, they make it hard to, to expand, well, even to, to, to get grandfathered in. If you have a race or an event that goes through an area that becomes wilderness, it's, it's really challenging to get grandfathered in to try to increase the numbers yeah. after wilderness areas created. Um, yeah, it's it does it, it's never happened as far as we know. Um, so the to to change it without going through the wilderness area, there are some options. Um, they're not really good options. If we go to the north side of Granite Chief, we're on the north side of a of a side hill, and that's mm -hmm. going to hold the snow. It would be not good in a lot of years. It'd be really treacherous, tre treacherous. Um, yeah, so, that, it wouldn't, that, so basically, it wouldn't be a sustainable decision uh, for a long term. It would be a hard. It would be hard to to go around Granite Chief Wilderness. Yeah, I mean, we definitely have looked at it. Um, if we get kicked out of Granite Chief, we will still have Western states. We will find a way around it. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for giving us that information. Now that I I touch into, you know the a little bit of a subject that everybody's curious, but not everybody usually um, either asks a question or or, or has a, a way to, to get there. But we're going to move to the Q&A section, and I know that 
our Armenian um, Greg Larkin, um, our Armenian um, Mark Turner uh, has a few people on the queue. Uh, so Mike, if you want to go ahead and move the first person to ask a question, go ahead. Okay, tonight, uh, Adam Peterson, you got a question. Your, your mic is on. Oh, hey there. Hey, Craig, hey, everybody. Hey, Adam, good to see you. Hey, I miss all y'all. <laughs> um, was just down below no hands uh, uh, an hour ago. Um, hey, Craig, I'm wondering, what is the craziest animal encounter you've had on the trails? Oh, wow, I've had, I've had several bear encounters. I've had one of the crazy uh, animals that I did not expect to be a problem. I was on Cal Street and I saw a fox on the trail. And I thought, it's tiny, it's, a, it's, a, it's smaller than a coyote, you know, it's tiny. And I stopped and I tried to get it to move and it wouldn't move. So I eventually got it to go down the trail and it would just stop and look back at me. And this lasted, it seemed like a long time, it was probably 10 minutes, but it seemed like it was a, an hour or so. And I finally decided I was just gonna run around the, the you know, get off the trail and run around it. and then it it snaps at me like that was freaking crazy. But the, the craziest non running story, but Western States animal story, uh, was some of you have heard this story from my friend, Scott Wolf, AKA monkey boy. Uh, I drive around on race day, uh, and try to hit the H stations. I was at Lion Ridge and then uh, Red Star Ridge. We're driving on the 96 road and on, on race day, I'm just amped up and I'm thinking about the race and oh my God, is someone, is it all gonna work? Did I forget something? Blah, blah, so my mind is just, just totally consumed with the race and driving pretty fast on the road. And if, if you've ever driven on the 96 road from Red Star towards uh, French Meadows, it's a, it's a very dense forested area and there's a deer in the road and, and we stop and the deer gives birth right in front of us. And as monkey boy says, you know, it's got the little shower cap on. It's, it's, it just gave birth to its little, little deer, little baby deer. And the mama went away cause we, we scared it. You know? And finally the, the, the mom came and licked it and it moved and it got off the trail and, and monkey boy and I are like, what did we just see? <laughs> we saw a live birth during Western States. That was the craziest thing. The miracle of childbirth right in front of us. <laughs> That's crazy. Cool. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. And next question is from Cody holiday over there. Well, I uh, just want to shout out to a fellow uh, Golden Sierra alumni. Hey, when did you graduate? Uh, uh, 1998. Uh, my question is, as far as um, being involved as a race director, what's been your biggest, like, oh, crap moment on race day where you were just like, <laughs> what the heck, what are we going to do type situation? Well, 2016, when Mr. Walmsley missed the turn, uh, that was, that was pretty crappy. That was a pretty crappy decision. Like, where is he? We didn't know that he had missed the turn up to, to the upper quarry. And then when he was found on highway 49 at the lower quarry and we got word that, Oh my God, he's, he's there. So what the hell do we do at that point? Right? I sent teams. We had, we had three teams go to that intersection and mark the living hell out of it. So no one could miss it going forward, which made it look like uh, we admitted that it was not marked properly, which was not the case at all. But I had said to these teams, make sure nobody else misses that turn. Uh, that was not a fun, that was, that was probably uh, the most memorable, oh shit. And the guys leading the race and the whole world's watching the freaking big, biggest race in the country at least. And, uh, and the lead runner goes off course. Not a good feeling. Thanks. <laughs> Next question uh, is from Jesse Ellis on Facebook Live watching. We've got a big crowd on Facebook Live. Jesse wants to know, 
what's your biggest biggest advice for keeping your focus on your fitness goals during very busy times of your life? Uh, wow. For me, my training, my exercise is always the highest priority for me. So I really don't have problems with that. I, I, I exercise every single day. Um, I take the time. I, I, I make sure I take the time to exercise every single day. I, I, I don't know if, if that's not your priority. Um, I don't know how you switch that, but make exercise, make training your highest freaking priority. Even, even, even your job. Uh, I don't know if you can say that. I don't have kids. So uh, maybe, maybe you can't say that with kids, but um, yeah, you just got to make it a priority, Jesse. I, I um, and, and just, and be disciplined that I'm going to exercise. I'm going to find the time to exercise. I've never had to run before work in the morning uh, it's 6 a.m. I've, I've never been forced to have to run that. So maybe maybe I, I'm not the, the right guy to ask um, if you're in that situation. Um, but yeah, make, make training your priority. So I got a, I got a question within that question. Uh, will you say that training is a specific to, hey, I need to go for a run, but for some reason I couldn't go for a run. Uh, can I substitute that with anything else? Like. Oh. In my case, for example, my um, uh, my property is very hilly, so and I recently built a deck, and I realized I I turned on my chorus watch while doing that. Shout out to chorus. Got a plug for chorus. It's uh, and I've gained over eight hundred feet just going up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. So, do you do anything like that? Uh, not really, but I do other stuff. If, if I can, if my only hour of exercise is going to be a flow yoga session, then yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll okay. consider that. I'll take the time to do that. Um, sometimes it's hard to concentrate if works, if there's a lot of stuff going on, uh, in the head, but yeah, I'll walk or hike or, you know, I'll go out and I got okay. the Canyon right out my back door. So, um, it's pretty easy to get out even for a walk down to the river and back up. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, the next question is from Jessica Harris, hanging out there. Jessica, go ahead. Hi. Hey, Craig. Hi, hey, there you are. Hi. <laughs> um, so my question is, we see you from the beginning of Western States all the way to the awards, and you are happy and positive. Do you sleep during race day? I usually get uh, about an hour or two hours of sleep. Um, unfortunately, I slept one year when uh, Megan finished, my friend Megan lost. Uh, so sometimes I don't sleep at the at the most opportune time. Um, but yeah, it's not, I mean, we work all year to put on the race, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay awake. I'm, I'm pumped up as long as my body will, stand upright i'm gonna be i'm gonna be awake I, I absolutely love i love watching people finish and I, I love i love watching the whole race progress and awesome. and oh the the golden hour is incredible there's a little bit of a lull sometimes in the uh at the award ceremony it gets pretty hard when it's hot and i'm standing out shaking people's hands and sometimes i can't Oh boy, I may I may pass out here because it's so hot. I'm tired. I'm dehydrated. <laughs> but hell, the runners had run 100 miles, and I just I just drove around, and you know I I didn't have I didn't have anywhere near the effort. I didn't put out anywhere near the effort that the runners did. So. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, last question is from John Becker. He has a question about eliminating easy qualifiers. John, are you there? I'm here. <clears throat> So my question is, is um, looking at the qualifier list, is that there are some hundreds that are extremely fast that are on the qualifier list. Um, and they don't compare to some of the states, and I know that all don't because it's against, you know, all across the country. And I know that races have been removed as it's become more popular, but it seems like, to me, my fourth year percentage was worse, almost worse than my second year trying to get into states. Are we going to do, or is there going to be, I know there's reviews, but like, I think Tunnel Hill was added back in as a qualifier for 21. 
and to me that's that's just a straight out flat fast course is it just going to be based on the volume of the people that come to that race or is it going to be based on something that's kind of equal to states in itself instead of making a fast the indiana 100 is another one and i can name it some others uh, it's, so, it's a it's a fair question and i think you need to look at what is the purpose of running a qualifier you know, we have really high finish rates lately, uh, upwards to, of 86%. So if we're using the qualifier to uh, indicate whether a runner can finish Western States, I think we're doing okay in that. If we're using the qualifier to limit the number of people who can get in to the lottery, then we could definitely remove races like that and make it harder. Um, and we are examining we are examining this. We're constantly looking at this. What one possibility to address the your your comment about having a lower percentage chance of getting in through the lottery on the, the on the on a year uh, subsequent year, um, we may change the multiplier from two to the n minus one to something like a three to the n minus one or or some uh, fractional two point five to the n minus one. Uh, so that your chances will improve significantly, more significantly than they do now in subsequent years. Um, but all those are the, the, the limiting the number of qualifiers is definitely a way to decrease the number of applicants. Um, but if it's if the purpose of the qualifier is just to determine whether you can run 100 miles or not, um, we don't seem to be having a problem with that. I think we're we're vetting. Uh, we're vetting folks who, you know, we're eliminating folks who can't run 100 miles. So it's it's a fair question. Um, and Tunnel Hill is definitely one of the easiest 100 milers on our qualifying list. I'm, I, I can't argue that. Um, but we will we will continue to, I think you'll see changes in the next uh, one or two lotteries that, that will that will address the these these issues. I appreciate it. It's just, it's just a concern. Like I said, I mean, my fourth year was, I think worse than my second year. And, yeah. and in a lottery, I understand that the growth of Western States and the popularity of itself, but to me, your fourth year should not be worse than your second. And I'm not been doing this for long, but again, I was like, wow, just looking at the numbers. And yeah. I, I wish I could share my inbox with, uh, of, of race from the emails I get from race directors who want their race to be a qualifier. It is unbelievable. People want their race and they'll say, well, there, there's no race uh, near me to qualify at. So I need to have this thing be a qualifier. So we're constantly battling that too. We want to make sure everybody has a race fairly close to them so they don't have to travel to another state or to another country to run a qualifier. So it's, you know, we, we try to, we try to take in, we try to take everybody's perspective when we, when we make decisions like that, but you, you, it's a valid point. I can't argue that tunnel Hill is not an easy qualifier. Okay. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that was it for our audience Q and a. So I guess we're just going to wrap up here. Uh, Craig, I just really want to thank you so much for just taking the time uh, coming on. This is our first live interview session. We kind of just came up with this idea within the last like week and a half, I think, and just threw it together. Um, we've just had some great feedback tonight, some just real great interest, I think. We've got people on Facebook watching, so I think total we peaked at like around 50 people here. Can't complain about that at all. So uh, thanks so much for sharing your insights and your information. I think it was really valuable. Yeah, thank you guys for doing this. This is uh, really fun, and I'm, I've watched the chat room going while we're here. So yeah, like, wow, there's a there's a lot of action there, and some interesting questions. I know people want to talk about some other stuff, but um, an, another time, another venue, um, we'll we'll address some of those other issues. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Paula, if you want to wrap things up. Yeah. Oh, and Craig, just let me plug like, in one more thing, just to say, yeah. hey, um, thanks again to Mike Turner in the background there, just like feeling all the questions and taking care of all the behind the scenes stuff for us. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Greg and Mike uh, and Craig. Uh, this has definitely been a, a great opportunity to share 
time with you guys, we are at a point in our lives that none of us have ever been trained on or experienced or been educated on. And I think we are doing a fantastic job as a pandemic survivors. It's a, it is a reality that, that, that has been upon us, has been put upon us and there's nothing we can do about this. Um, that being said, we miss you all and we hope to get together and join trails in the very near future. Um, that being said, if um, you can, us, can visit our website, uh, auburnaidstation.com. Uh, if you guys need anything for running and you don't find it there, please let me know, send me a message. Um, we got a lot of other products that are not on our website and I, I try every day to keep uploading uh, new products and also keep our inventory accurate. And Craig, once again, thank you so much for taking the time uh, out of your day and your life to spend it with us. Um, and thank you for taking the time away from your cats because I know that's very important for you. It's, uh, once again, thank you all. Um, be safe, wash your hands. Uh, common sense goes a long way. Okay. All right. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>